Yeah, so this morning we're going to talk about um, Christian, a Christian understanding of time management. How we, how we manage our time is a serious issue because it's a difference between effectiveness and um, never achieving your goals. But it's not just about efficiency. Um, you can read a million self-help books on that and I'm not necessarily going to talk about action points and you know, to-do lists and what apps to use because that would be not really the point of this morning. Um, but it's, it's more about making the right choices with your time, wise choices. One of the saddest things um, men apparently say on their deathbed is, I wish I had spent more time with my family. So, you know, it is possible to be really organised and efficient and effective and productive at one level and then to be making all the wrong decisions. Earlier in the service, we, we heard the story of Mar Mary and Martha. And, uh, you know, this, this shows us that it's possible to be working hard, like Martha, who was distracted, it says, with all the preparations, but to not be using our time in the best way, sitting at the feet of Jesus. Some of you, I know, are freakishly effective with your time management. Uh, you fit a lot in, you get to meetings on time, you read the minutes of the board meetings you attend, you do it all with a smile on your face, you're at church five minutes before 10 o'clock, which is 20 minutes before some people. You are a genetic mutation, that's what you are, I don't know how you do it. For you, your work is everything, you come to church and you, um, most Sundays and you fulfil your duties. But I just want to check with you, how do you know that the things that you're doing with your effective time management is the right thing? How much time do you have for people, for example? How easy is it for you to spontaneously change your plans if there's a need, a person who needs you? Can you change your plans or do you have to stick to your diary? Others of you do a lot of work, you study even, maybe you've got kids as well, uh, but you constantly feel stressed. You do your tasks in a state of exhaustion. You feel like a pinball bouncing around, like this bang, 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 bang. And uh, you're rushing, you're always saying when somebody says, how are you going? Oh, I'm feeling pretty tired this week. That's a kind of your standard answer. You have a, a to-do list at home which seems to just be continually in the red because you're running late. You say yes to being involved at church and you, you think you should be, but you always feel a bit manic and sometimes you feel guilty that you're not doing enough at church but then other times you feel annoyed that other people aren't signing up and so, you know, there's people like you. And then there are others of you who are free spirits, aren't you? You float around from cloud to cloud. You don't even have a diary. You just have a texter and a palm. Like, you just write it like, you know, that's what I've got to do today. You have an old Hotmail address, the same one you got in 1999, which you check once every two months. You do what you want when you want. You say you're going to meet up with your friends and occasionally you do, you know. At church, you have a very good intention to be around and to be amongst the community and serving the people. And sometimes you do and sometimes you don't. A uh, community group, you go along most weeks, sometimes actually 10 minutes before you decide because you're a free spirit. See, we're all different and, you know, we all have different ways of managing our diaries. But, you know, what we do with our time really matters. You know, just to... Kind of be poignant. Paul says in Romans 14, 10 to 12, he says, For we all will stand before the judgment seat of God. Each of us will give an account of himself to God. 
So what are you going to say about how you managed the time? Whether you're organised, disorganised, stressed, carefree, the real question is, how can I manage my time in such a way that brings glory to God? The focus really will be on this morning, Christ-like priorities. But let's look at the passage, because this is coming out of the passage. I'm not just kind of using the passage to kind of talk about time management. 2 Thessalonians 3. The first five verses is like this general statement of Paul just listing some prayer points and his concerns. And he says things like, um, you know, he says to pray that the good news would spread like it spread to the church in Thessalonica, this little church, and they started up. He says, pray that just what happens to you will happen to other people and it's going to go out. And this is the prayer of a missionary and church planter. That's what they pray. Um, he asks for prayer for them that he and his team should not suffer from at the hands of the persecuting people that are trying to stop Paul and his ministry. And this was a serious request. It wasn't just kind of a throwaway prayer. I mean, Paul suffered beatings and he was, you know, stonings and he, you know, he was close to death at different times. He was thrown in prison. But while Paul's team should be concerned, Paul says to the Thessalonians, don't worry, God is going to protect you. Um... And then he offers his own prayer that the Lord would direct their hearts into God's love and Christ's perseverance. And uh, a few weeks ago I talked about how being a Christian, it's, it's like part of discipleship is just having this attitude of a marathon runner. Just going, I've just got to keep going um, in God's strength till I die and run through the finish line. And that's part of it because we will face uphills and, and blockages along the way. We've just got to keep going. But then the next part of the, the passage, he then addresses this issue of perseverance and he, and he sort of, he gets into some real specifics to finish this letter and he talks about the issue of idle and disruptive people. Um, they were doing nothing with their lives because they're waiting for Jesus to, re- to return, we think most of them, and this is why he's had to talk about Jesus returning so many times in this letter. Um, so they're sitting around, you know, whistling to themselves causing problems in the church. And in the first letter, he dealt with this, a similar issue. Some of them had stopped following the teaching of the apostles. So Paul actually says, stay away from them. You know, they're going to not help your cause. They're not busy, he said. They are busy bodies, verse 11. So this is a new church and required everyone to put in the effort. Basically, the rule of thumb should be, said Paul, if you don't contribute, you shouldn't eat. Pretty good, isn't it? Pretty, pretty straightforward. And they should look out for these idle Christians and not associate with them so that they can send a message of how serious this is. He says, don't kind of let them be idle, but actually rebuke them kind of in the way you relate to them. Uh, the ultimate goal, however, he says, is not, not just to shame them for its own sake, but to bring them back to God, to help them grow. It's kind of a form of tough love. They are tearing the church down by their idleness. They're being destructive by their idleness. They're having a free ride while everyone around them is doing the work to make church happen. But in contrast, Paul also sort of talks about himself and his team. And he says, look, remember how we modelled how to function in the church? And he uses this word busy. And the problem with the word busy, I think, is that in 2015, we often attach busy to like being stressed out and a workaholic 
But he's talking about active, getting involved, like busy bees. Verse 7, he says, You know how we were when we were with you? We worked hard night and day, verse 8. We didn't even accept free food. We paid for it ourselves. It's not that Paul thought that it was a bad idea to, to give to each other and, to, and, to, and you know, to give to people in ministry, but he just wanted to model um, this kind of active church membership. Verse 9b, we did it in order to offer ourselves as a model for you to imitate. Now, if you think about us and this contrast of the idle Christian and the busy Christian, um, it is essential that Christians get involved. Uh, the famous Christian politician, the British politician, who um, ended slavery in Britain and started the RSPCA, William Wilberforce, he said this, he said, No man has a right to be idle. Where is it in such a world as this that health and leisure and affluence may not find some ignorance to instruct or some wrong to redress or some want to supply or some misery to alleviate. So as we think about our model of Christian time management, we need to realise that however we find a way to organise our life, our place and our role in the church should be at the forefront of our thinking. We've got to be thinking, how are we acting as a Christian amongst our Christian brothers and sisters amongst our wider community? We cannot afford to be passengers in the church. This is in actual fact sin that needs rebuking, according to Paul. It's, it's sin because it's unloving. We need to work out how we too can work hard day and night, how we can be busy in a godly way so that we can serve the people of God and bring glory to God. He's not promoting workaholism. He's not promoting filling up your diary with lots and lots of programs and lots and lots of events and always being exhausted and never being around for your family. That's, that's actually wrong as well. That's why we've got to think about this, managing, managing our time. He's actually talking about serving the people of God and all those people who your congregation, who our congreg- congregation is connected to. And this could be done through a church program or ministry that the church has set up, but it could be just done in in your networks, in your friendship circles, at the pub, at the playgroup, at school, at work. Why do we fail to manage our time? Why do we struggle so hard? Um, why is it also hard that we find it, why is it the case that we find it so hard to integrate our faith and our work together, our, our faith in our everyday lives? Um, In Genesis 3, we read that um, the whole of creation is under a curse from God because of the sin of humanity, specifically in Genesis 3, because of the sin of Adam and Eve. God said to Adam after he sinned in the garden, Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth to you. And we often think about the curse of work as being, you know, the toil that it sort of it's hard we think of the farmer out on the you know on the on the field and and the and the and the crops not growing properly and and all of that but in deuteronomy 28 it it does expand on the curse of work and it talks about the confusion as, as well deuteronomy 28 verse 20 the confusion of mind that is part of the curse of work, the frustration as you undertake your, your work. 
The curse that is on work that's in this world that we experience is both in manual labour, it's in kind of what we do with our minds. So how do we, how do we achieve this if, if we're living inside this curse? Also, we find it so difficult to manage our time because of the idolatry of self. Um, we have a purpose, which is to reflect and glorify God, but we find it impossible to do this. We are self-centred. We don't want to serve others freely, especially God. We, we wait to be asked to serve, don't we? We, we wait for a specific invitation um, because we think we're a little bit important. We don't take the initiative. We think our time matters more than others. That's why we're always late to things. Well, some of us find it hard to manage our time because actually... The pain of life ruins us so much inside that we, we work really extra long hours to escape the pain. Uh, so we're managing our time wrongly there because it's a form of escapism. Our exhaustion is a form of escapism from the pain of this world. So actually time has a whole lot of negative complexities, doesn't it? And uh, this, is, this is why it's so hard for us to manage our time in this broken world. But if we think about it, God is the Lord of time, Lord over time. We look to Jesus and we remember that the curse will be done away with. Christ has defeated it on the cross. And we will see the fullness of his victory when he returns. We will see that the tyranny of time evaporate. The curse on work, which includes on our ability to manage time, will, will go away. But in the meantime, we have the good news of Jesus to help us to navigate through how to manage our time better. Let's be reminded of what the gospel is. Theologian Michael Horton, who I really enjoy reading, he's a great theologian, he explains the gospel in this way, and notice as, as I read you this quote, how the good news about Jesus isn't about um, the action that we do or achieving a list or being efficient. That's about what God does. He says this, this is what the good news is. The heart of most religions is good advice, good techniques, good programs, good ideas and good support systems. But the heart of Christianity is good news. It comes not as a, not as a task for us to fulfill, a mission for us to accomplish, a game plan for us to follow with the help of life coaches, but as a report that someone else has already fulfilled, accomplished, followed and achieved everything for us. Good advice may help us in daily direction. The good news concerning Jesus Christ saves us from sin's guilt and tyranny over our lives and the fear of death. It's good news because it does not depend on us. It is about God and his faithfulness to his own purposes and promises. That is the good news. So what does this good news tell us about what God has done through Jesus about time? In Genesis, God makes it clear that he wants his people to be productive. This is part of what it means to be made in his image. We are to have dominion and subdue the earth. We are to till the ground. We are to care for creation. When we are productive, we glorify God because we are obeying him and imitating him. Proverbs 6, 6-8 says this, Go to the ant, O sluggard. 
Consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief officer or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. Productivity is wisdom. And so when we are productive in Christ, not only are we being wise, but we're participating in eternal things. Um, Psalm 1 verse 3 talks about the blessed man and says, In everything he does, he prospers. And because of what Jesus has done for us, our work has eternal consequences too. In the great passage on the resurrection in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labour is not in vain. But what about our issue of our self-obsession? What about our laziness? We sit on the couch and we just... (sighs) Jesus deals with that too. Listen to Paul in Philippians 3 verse 8. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ as Jesus is my Lord. For whose sake I have lost all things, I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. So as we consider everything a loss because of knowing Christ, this will motivate us to action. We are propelled off our couch, we put the remote down, and we think, yes, I want to do stuff. We love Jesus more than our need for the weekend. We love Jesus more than our need for a sleep-in. We, need, we love Jesus more than, than, than anything else. So we want to serve him in response. We want to serve others. Jesus also answers our need for fulfilment. So as we kind of struggle to escape our pain, Jesus deals with that too. Augustine said that God has made for himself and our hearts. Augustine said that God has made us for himself and our hearts are restless until we find our rest in him. And Jesus says, whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. John 4. The reason you should centre your life in productivity on God is because Jesus is worth it. Jesus is what makes it your best life. Listen to what Paul says in Philippians 4 verse 6. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. It doesn't matter what's on your action point list. So Jesus has offered us a solution to our problem with time. How do we practically live this out then? First of all, we need to have an integrated life. The goal for the Christian time management is not just to go, I need to be really organised at work, I need to be really organised at home, and I need to be really organised at church. That is missing the point. We need to learn to integrate our faith across our whole life. And that takes a long time to work, work on that. So you'll ask questions like, how can I be salt and light to my friends? What is the redemptive purpose? What is the kingdom of God purpose of my career that I'm in? Or the thing that I'm studying? Where, Where is this leading me to so that I can serve God? Or how can I be humble and Christ like in the way I relate to my colleagues? That's the integrated life. And that affects your time management because suddenly you're living effectively as a Christian in everything that you're doing. You think, how can I bring my church friends together and my non-church friends together? That's a gospel-based time management thought. 
Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, every Christian must be fully Christian by bringing God into his whole life, not merely into some spiritual realm over here. Secondly, what we need to do is we need to cultivate the virtue of love. Because of what Jesus has done for us, we should respond in love to God and to others. We should cultivate the virtue of love. Um, a great author, Matt Perman, who wrote a book about um, Christian time management, says, The essence of gospel-driven productivity is this. We are to use all that we have in all areas of life for the good of others, to the glory of God, and that this is the most exciting life. To be a gospel-driven Christian means to be on the lookout to do good for others to the glory of God in all areas of life, and to do this with creativity and competence. Further, being gospel-driven also means knowing how to get things done so that we can serve others in a way that really helps in all areas of life without making ourselves miserable in the process through overload, overwhelm, and hard-to-keep-up systems. So cultivate the virtue of love. And then be a servant. As you think about managing your time, go, I want to be a servant as I manage my time. If you want to be productive and make the most of your time, you should follow Jesus and do this. Every day, think about what is one thing you can do to serve somebody else. What is one thing you can do to serve your boss or your colleagues or your family or your friends at school? If you think about one thing that you can do, you're more likely to achieve that one thing, isn't it? You just do it. So some time management experts talk about this amazing complex system, but what we're suggesting here is just having one focus each day about how you can serve people. Don't put it on a list. Just pick one thing and just do it. Random acts of kindness. Fourthly, you could do all the good that you can do. That's what it says in the passage, 2 Thessalonians 3 verse 13. Never tire of doing what is good. One of the fruits of the Spirit that we should cultivate is kindness. But kindness isn't just being nice. Uh, Jonathan Edwards, uh, the American theologian, says, Kindness doesn't mean nice. It means to be proactive in seeking good for others. It means to be lavish in doing good for others. So when Paul says that love is kind, in 1 Corinthians 13, he means that love will dispose us freely to do good for others. Back in 1 Thessalonians 5.15, he already said, do all the good you can. He said this a few times. Elsewhere, Paul says, uh, 2 Corinthians 9 verse 6, so bountifully, 2 Corinthians 8 verse 2, be radically generous. 1 Timothy 6, uh, 17 to 19, be rich in good works. Let your light shine for others so that they can see your good works and give glory to God, uh, glory to your Father who is in heaven. And fifthly, and lastly, love your church, the bride of Christ. Our passage makes it clear that essential to our lives as Christians is, is how we manage our time with respect to our community. We've got to do this effectively and we've got to do this generously and with love and sacrificially. If you are exhausted because of your work, so much so that you can't participate in the life of the Christian community, let me suggest you have a problem in your faith. You have misunderstood the gospel and you probably need to consider whether you're in the right job. Don't sacrifice your faith 
because of your job. Don't sacrifice serving other people because of your work. Perhaps your job isn't right for you. Just as the secret to tithing is to take the money out of your account before you, in your budgeting process, before you allocate it to other things, you know, take your time out of your week so that you can serve people. I don't just mean get out of your head. I don't just mean being in rosters. I don't mean that, although that's not maybe something you should do. Um, I mean just serving people in your neighbourhood, in your Christian community, when there's a need, being able to meet that need. Don't relate to your Christian brothers and sisters in a transactional kind of way. So if you're in a community group, for example, don't see that as a product that you can consume but see that as an opportunity where you can serve and be sacrificial and loving. Don't just think on a you know, Tuesday or Wednesday or Thursday night, um, I might come tonight on uh, oh, Ethan, I don't know if I'll come. Oh, I'll be a bit tired, a bit tired, I'll just go to bed. Don't be like that. That's the consumer, isn't it? Don't just send a text 20 minutes into the, the meeting saying, oh, sorry, I can't make it tonight. I'm a bit tired or I've got a bit of homework. See it as an opportunity to serve and be sacrificial. Church is not a product for you to consume. We are the body of Christ. Love your church because Christ loved the church first and gave himself up for her. Ephesians 5.25 So love your brothers and sisters in Mary Creek serving in ministry. We, can, we need people to lead community groups. We need... Um, people to serve in administration. We need people to help with children's ministry. We need people to help to stack chairs. We need people to help um, bring people meals. We need people to help in all kinds of ways. We need people to pray. We need people to be the body together. Show your love in action to each other. So if you haven't got it by now, the secret to a gospel model of time management is for it to be a response to the grace shown to you by Jesus. It should be motivated by love for God and for people. It should be about uh, doing good for God and doing good for people. It should be about sacrificial love for the people of God. The efficiency will actually sort itself out. What's more important is that you're doing the right things. Who cares if you're super organised, if you're focusing on the wrong thing? The action points will be arranged around love and you'll be bringing glory to God as you respond to his command to be productive and you'll be reflecting his image. And let me leave you with two verses from the end of the, end of the letter. Verse 16 and 18. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times and in every way the Lord be with all of you and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen.